Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Republicans and Democrats battling for the soul of America ahead of the midterms in speeches by President Biden and the House Minority Leader. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot had a few words for Texas Governor Greg Abbott after Chicago received 75 illegal immigrants bust from Texas. American school children did worse academically during the pandemic. The nation's report card shows that their reading and math scores have dropped. New documents reveal Biden administration employees are involved in a censorship push. Is it a crackdown on harmful misinformation or a threat to free speech? We hear from a rights group that's litigating. Both sides of the aisle battling for the soul of America. That's the message both Democrats and Republicans seem to be sending to voters. And today's Jessica Beatty reports on last night's speeches from the president and the House Minority Leader. President Biden Thursday accused former President Trump and his supporters of undermining America's foundations. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. Biden's rare primetime speech was held in Philadelphia, the birthplace of America's republic. The president painted Trump and his supporters as being extreme, at one point alleging they view the people who breached the Capitol and attacked law enforcement as patriots, even though Trump and his administration condemned the violence immediately afterward. They fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. Ahead of Biden's speech, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy had a message for President Biden. The first lines out of his mouth should be to apologize for slandering tens of millions of Americans as fascists. McCarthy accused Biden of being the one who attacked the soul of America. He has launched an assault on our democracy. His policies have severely wounded America's soul. Millions of Americans are falling backwards into poverty. Our communities haven't been this dangerous in decades. Trump responded to Biden's speech on his Truth social platform, saying someone should explain to Biden that MAGA means make America great again. Trump wrote, if he doesn't want to make America great again, which through words, action, and thought he doesn't, then he certainly should not be representing the United States of America. While Biden's facing pushback from Republicans, many Democrats have welcomed his speech, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who called it inspiring and optimistic. Although Biden and McCarthy both invoked the soul of America, they have different visions of what that is ahead of the midterms. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Turning now to Mississippi, President Biden says he has no plans to visit the state as its largest city deals with a drinking water crisis. It's affecting homes, schools, and businesses. No, I've been talking to Mississippi. I've talked to the mayor. I've talked to the congressman. And I've encouraged uh, we have We've offered every single thing available. In Mississippi, the governor has to act. There's, there's money to deal with this problem. And... Uh, but I just, uh, we're waiting for, we've given them EPA, the, uh, we, we've given them everything there is to offer. But you have no plans to go there, is that correct? I have no plans to go there right now, no. Many homes, businesses, and government offices have had little or no running water this week, forcing people to wait in long lines for bottled water to drink or to flush toilets. Broken water and sewer pipes are also common in Mississippi's largest city, the Environmental Protection Agency told Jackson months ago that its water system violates the Federal Safe Drinking Water Act. The crisis deepened after heavy rain last week flooded the Pearl River, adding to trouble at the main water treatment plant during the weekend. Nearly 200,000 residents have no safe drinking water. They're reportedly being asked to shower with their mouths closed. Moving on to former President Trump and the DOJ. Trump's lawyers are accusing the Department of Justice of leaking information to the media following last month's FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago. Trump's attorneys referred to a photo of, quote, allegedly classified materials pulled from a container and spread across the floor for dramatic effect. 
The picture was included in a court document that the Justice Department submitted. The photo shows documents marked top secret strewn about on the floor in a Mar-a-Lago storage room. The 45th president has asked for a special master or a neutral third party approved by the judge to review the material that was taken by the FBI agents. His lawyers argue that the DOJ could leak portions of the case to create a narrative for the public. The search warrant had a heavily redacted affidavit show that the DOJ is investigating Trump for possible violations of the Espionage Act and obstruction of justice. Trump has maintained that the documents were declassified by him when he was still in office. An update on J6. A retired New York Police Department officer was sentenced to 10 years in prison. That's because of his involvement in the January 6th Capitol breach. Retired NYPD officer Thomas Webster was sentenced to 10 years in prison yesterday. Federal prosecutors had recommended a prison sentence of over 17 years. Webster was involved in the Capitol breach and used a metal flagpole to assault one of the police officers. His prison sentence is the longest so far among roughly 250 people who have been punished for their involvement in the Capitol breach. Webster was the first January 6th defendant to present a self-defense argument. A jury rejected his claim that he was defending himself. From the Capitol breach, now to the handling of COVID-19 information. New documents show 50 employees in the Biden administration are involved in a push to cause social media companies to suppress alleged misinformation. They're from 12 agencies. Those include the State Department, the FBI, the CDC, HHS, and even the Census Bureau. We hear from a rights group involved in a lawsuit over this issue. Joining us now is Janine Yunus, who is litigation counsel for the New Civil Liberties Alliance. They're representing several plaintiffs in the case their organization joined with Missouri and Louisiana against President Biden. Pleasure to have you on, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us more about what the plaintiffs face in terms of their right to free speech amid alleged government agencies involved in pressuring social media companies to censor information regarding COVID-19? Yeah, well, so the plaintiffs in this case have been censored extensively on social media. Um, and we now know that that was done at the behest of the Biden administration. We had suspected it before because of public statements that had been made by people like Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci. But now we really know that there is a, a sprawling censorship regime across 11 federal agencies that we know of so far. So what about these new documents is most concerning to you? Well, uh, a lot of it is quite concerning. Uh, the documents show that the government was telling social media companies uh, what to censor, who to censor, um, and that the social media companies were complying and responding, and that they were doing so under pressure. And what do we, where do we draw the line here between silencing American voices and preventing legitimate harmful information from being spread on social media? Uh, well, it's my position that uh, the government should have really no role in this. Um, apart from like direct threats of violence, uh, the government, you know, the First Amendment protects freedom of speech. And we recognize that because even though some information uh, can be untruthful and can, you know, people spreading it can ultimately result in harm, we don't want the government drawing those lines. Uh, we, you know, in a free society, we recognize that there's a greater danger posed by that than by the fact that unfortunately some people will spread so-called misinformation. For example, last July, President Biden alleged that Facebook was killing people for not censoring misinformation on social media account. What do you make of this? <laughs> well, I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, like a lot of things can be called indirectly killing people. Um, that's not, you know, that's not what we recognize as a First Amendment exception. And we also recognize that things that for the president himself and Rochelle Walensky have said last year would now be, uh, are now clearly untrue, such as that the vaccine stopped transmission. We now know that's not true. If you uh, get the vaccine, you won't get COVID. So what the First Amendment recognizes is the, is the government doesn't have a monopoly on the truth. No one has a monopoly on the truth. And the marketplace of ideas is the best way to deal with, um, with these issues. Give us an update on what's the status of the lawsuit right now. Well, so we're uh, in a discovery dispute, and that's why actually all these documents were filed. So we're trying to get the judge to, to uh, order the government to turn over more. Uh, of particular interest is we want, um, in, we want Anthony Fauci to have to answer some questions, and we want his emails. Which uh, questions? Uh, <laughs> I can't say that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. And so what yeah. else are you looking for here? Sorry? And so what else are you looking for here? 
Uh, well, we want more, you know, uh, at this time, there are only a couple of individuals that we can see the government has demanded be censored. Uh, for instance, Alex Berenson and then the disinformation dozen were specifically targeted. I suspect that there's a lot more. And two of our plaintiffs, Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kuldorf, had been singled out um, by Fauci and Collins on, publicly and told, uh, you know, the public was told they were a danger to society, their ideas should be repressed. So I suspect that if we get our hands on these documents, we'll show that they were explicitly targeted and silenced by the government. You mentioned the Barrington Declaration signers. What about Dr. Bhattacharya's work is particularly useful to the public and why is it being censored in your view? Uh, it's being censored because it diverges from the government messaging, which is extremely dangerous. It's a clear First Amendment violation. Uh, Dr. Bhattacharya and Kuldorf uh, opposed lockdowns. They opposed mandates. And they've been proven right. <laughs> so now I think the government really wants to silence them. Janine Yunus at the New Civil Liberties Alliance, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Let's talk about immigration. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot calls Texas Governor Greg Abbott racist. That's after Abbott dropped off the first busloads of 75 illegal immigrants from Texas to Chicago. Here's the story. Governor Abbott's racist and xenophobic practices of expulsion have only amplified the challenges many of these migrants have experienced on their journey to find a safe place. Thursday afternoon, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot blasted Texas Governor Greg Abbott as racist and inhumane for busing 75 illegal immigrants to Chicago the day before. These are human beings, moms and dads, young children, elders, who deserve our respect and dignity. They're not car cargo. They are not chattel. The governor's actions are not just inhumane. They are unpatriotic. On Wednesday, Texas Governor Abbott announced he is adding Chicago as the latest city to drop off illegal immigrants. Busing illegal immigrants to Democrat-led cities is Abbott's response to what he calls President Biden's open border policies. In a press release, Abbott said President Biden's inaction at our southern border continues putting the lives of Texans and Americans at risk and is overwhelming our communities. And he also said, quote, Mayor Lightfoot loves to tout the responsibility of her city to welcome all regardless of legal status. And I look forward to seeing this responsibility in action as these migrants receive resources from a sanctuary city with a capacity to serve them. Mayor Lightfoot says Chicago will be a sanctuary for anyone regardless of legal status. We're ready. We are the village and we are going to make sure that whoever comes to Chicago, um, that we're going to take care of them, that they are going to find shelter here um, and that they are going to be welcome. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. On to education. Pandemic policies may have taken a toll on the academic progress of American kids. A new federal report shows that nine-year-olds are doing worse in reading and math. Here are the details. The National Assessment of Educational Progress on Thursday released a report on the academic performances of nine-year-old students, popularly known as the nation's report card. It shows that long-term math scores fell for the first time since the test began in the 1970s. Reading scores also saw the biggest decline since the 1980s. You know, that is very alarming. It's disturbing, but it's not surprising, keeping in mind a year and a half ago, um, over half of our schools were not open for full-time learning. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona said in a CNN interview on Thursday that the sharp decline has to do with the lack of in-person learning. He said in-person learning is where we need to focus. The labor secretary says the teacher shortage is also to blame. This letter that we, we put out there encourages uh, to take a series of actions to address uh, the teacher shortage uh, and school staff shortages in our country. Now, this was not created by the pandemic. It was happening before the pandemic. The pandemic just shined the light on it. Commenting on the report, the White House on Thursday blamed the Trump administration for students' learning loss. It shows you how mismanaged uh, the pandemic was uh, and how the impact of that mismanagement had on, the ch on, on kids' progress and academic well-being. But Republicans say they were pushing for in-person learning during the pandemic. Senator Tim Scott tweeted, Democrats made school closure policies to appease big labor unions, and now our nation's kids are paying the price. The report combined data collected from the winter of 2020 before the pandemic with that from the winter of 2022. The sample included nearly 15,000 nine-year-old children from 410 schools. Most of them were in fourth grade. 
Average reading scores declined by five points from 2020 to 2022, while average math scores dropped by seven points. The school year in Uvalde, Texas is starting soon. Relatives of victims, students, and others say they feel uneasy about it. The school says that some security measures will not be completed by the time school starts. Here are the details. Students are returning to classrooms in Uvalde, Texas next week, three months after the shooting that left 21 people dead. This week, the Uvalde school board took part in a special town hall meeting. The uncle of a 10-year-old shooting victim criticized the way the board is handling security matters. None of y'all care, and it's evident. And y'all just sit there, can't answer yes or no questions. Y'all act like, oh, oh, this is important. But you, like she said, y'all ain't even halfway done. Y'all don't care. And you want to know why? It's because y'all's lives aren't robbed. He asked about the status of security improvements on school campuses, like fencing. The fences are not expected to be completed by the time Uvalde's children return to the classroom next week. The fences aren't completed, the cameras aren't completed, the doors aren't completed, nothing's completed. And then they expect us to just let our kids go back. They don't care, you know. Um, they haven't even investigated the, the school police that were there that day. A young student also voices her concerns about returning to school. You want me to go to your schools, right? Yes. I don't know how, that, how long that will last. Thank you. Some members of the community want to see action being taken against people who they say didn't do their job correctly on the day of the shooting. We just need to stand up, be loud, um, demand accountability, demand actions. Those that did not their, do their jobs do not deserve to continue on with their badges in this community. Everyone knows who they are, and it needs to stop. You know, of course, we've been asking for accountability since day one. You know, um, yeah. there's been a lot of speed bumps along the way. You know, we've had little victories here and there, but uh, we still tend to have more speed bumps and victories, you know. And, School in Uvalde is starting again next week, Tuesday. It'll be students' first time back in school since the tragedy. That's a difficult situation going on in Uvalde. Entity reached out to the Uvalde School Board for comment, but did not hear back before broadcast time. And coming up, travelers on some airlines will be taken care of during delays and canceled flights. Most major airlines in the U.S. are updating their policies to include meals and rooms, but problems remain. And it's over 100 years old, and it served in both world wars. The battleship USS Texas will be undergoing extensive repairs. Find out more after the break. Major U.S. airlines plan to provide meals for customers who face three hours of delays, as well as hotel rooms for stranded passengers. But only if it's the airline's fault. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the new policy. American Airlines, United, Southwest, Delta, and JetBlue are all among the airlines updating their customer service plans. This dashboard from the Department of Transportation compares services each airline provides for delays and cancellations. The services only apply for delays or cancellations that the airlines are at fault for. But for airline passengers at LaGuardia Airport Thursday, problems remained. I don't think the airlines are doing enough in order to make it easier for people to travel because they're asking you to change your flight before they even offer any type of incentive for you to do so. In the past, airline customers often had to ask for meal vouchers or hotel rooms from airlines. But now, the airlines are giving a detailed description of what they offer. Some say vouchers will be given out automatically. Other travelers recounted their recent struggles. Just a couple of days ago, my brother, we were here for a, for, for a job and we were leaving upstate New York for a flight and his Southwest uh, flight was canceled within you know, less than three hours before the flight. I booked a flight for today at four o'clock and on my way to the airport, I looked at my email and they had changed it to tomorrow without telling me really just by email. The updated policies are a direct response to a request from the Department of Transportation Secretary. I think the clarity and transparency of telling customers that have had disruptive flights what they are owed is what's most necessary. Uh, it's not exactly uh, what is offered, but you know, 
putting it out there so the customer knows that they uh, what they're entitled to if their flight is canceled or delayed. Most airlines say if they can't find a hotel room, they will reimburse the stranded passenger for a reasonably priced room. JetBlue will provide $12 meal vouchers. United Airlines will give meal vouchers for the reasonable cost of a meal at airport food vendors. Southwest Airlines says they will either have meal vouchers or reimburse a reasonable amount. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The airline's updated policies are just in time for Labor Day weekend. The travel app Hopper estimates that over 12.5 million passengers are scheduled to fly from U.S. airports. Since Memorial Day weekend, about 55,000 flights have been canceled in the U.S., and nearly a quarter of U.S. flights were delayed this summer. That's according to data from flight tracking site FlightAware. It's reportedly due to weather and staffing issues. But some industry experts remain cautiously optimistic about air travel this holiday weekend. They predict a smoother fall travel season. Switching from commercial air travel to naval gear, the only surviving battleship that served in both World War I and World War II will undergo extensive repairs. The USS Texas was towed to a dry dock in Galveston, Texas on Wednesday. Uh, it was commissioned uh, in 1914, uh, so it's well over 100 years old. Uh, it is the namesake of our state, and uh, it was the first U.S. warship that was given to a state. And uh, so Texas received the very first one. And uh, it represents, you know, freedom. And with the Sons Republic of Texas and Lone Star Volunteers and the Daughters and the other organizations, you know, we are celebrating the Republic of Texas and the freedom that our ancestors fought for and died for to establish the Republic of Texas and the freedoms that we enjoy today. The battleship traveled 40 miles from its longtime home in the San Jacinto Battleground historic site to a shipyard in Galveston. The USS Texas has been at the state historic site since 1948. For the last three years, it's been closed to the public in preparation for the repairs. The repairs will cost $35 million and take up to a year. The Battleship Texas Foundation is in charge of the repair efforts. They plan to eventually resettle the ship in a new location in Texas to attract more visitors and increase revenue. Several hundred people gathered by Galveston Bay on Wednesday for a chance to see the ship go by. Do you remember the disgraced Theranos CEO who was convicted on four felony counts of fraud and conspiracy? A federal judge on Thursday declined to overturn the jury conviction of the exec. That brings former Silicon Valley star Elizabeth Holmes a step closer to serving prison time. The judge won't make a final decision until October. The 38-year-old Holmes faces up to 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine plus restitution for lying to investors. She made false claims about new technology for blood testing. It was supposed to require only a few drops of blood. She hailed it as a revolution in health care, but in practice, it produced dangerously inaccurate results. One of Holmes' lawyers tried to persuade the judge that the jury of eight men and four women acted irrationally during their seven days of deliberations. Thursday's 90-minute hearing marked the first time Holmes has returned to the court since her January conviction. The verdict ended a nearly four-month trial that recounted Holmes' remarkable rise from a Stanford University dropout in 2003 to an entrepreneur once worth $4.5 billion before it all unraveled. A disturbing discovery, two legs were found in a sewage treatment plant in the Bronx, New York City. According to the New York Post, police say that the legs belong to a newborn infant. One leg was found at 11 p.m. on Wednesday, the other one just hours earlier. Police are investigating where the legs came from. A forensic anthropologist is also working on the case. The sewer plant where the legs were found covers the East Bronx area. A similar case took place in Massachusetts in 2006 when the arm of a baby was found at a sewer plant. Boston police said the arm was probably from a stillborn baby or late-term fetus. That case remains unsolved. Heading out west, California has declared a state of emergency as a brutal heat wave brings the threat of power outages and wildfires. Death Valley reached its highest temperature ever for the month of September. The park recorded temperatures as high as 127 degrees and visitors came out to welcome the heat. California is concerned people will turn up the air conditioning and strain the state's electrical grid. Governor Gavin Newsom declared an emergency in order to increase energy production. It enables him to relax rules aimed at curbing air pollution and global warming gases. He blames climate change for the heat wave. In August 2020, a heat wave caused a surge in power use for air conditioning that overtaxed the grid. That caused two consecutive nights of rolling blackouts affecting hundreds of thousands of residential and business customers. 
Which American city has the nation's fastest community-wide internet service? The answer, Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's according to EPB, an internet, TV, phone, and energy provider in Chattanooga. The company has launched a a 25 gigabits per second internet service. The fiber optic network will be available to all residential and commercial customers in the area. But it doesn't come cheap. It costs $1,500 a month for homes, 25 times the U.S. average. And for businesses, it costs over $12,000 monthly. The company expects prices to eventually come down as the rest of the market catches up. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, as Yemen struggles under a never-ending war, the country's agriculture sector is trying to defend itself against cheap grapes from China. Stay tuned for more after the break. Welcome back. Heading overseas, certain factors are hinting at trouble for China's job market. One of them, record high payouts from unemployment insurance funds. And it's not a small gap compared to last year. Here are the details. What's happening with China's unemployment rate? Data on unemployment insurance payouts may give us a hint. This June, China's unemployment insurance fund paid out two and a half times as much as last year. The payments jumped to $5.4 billion, the highest since the data series began in 2013. This according to data from the Chinese Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security. The fund is pulled from employers, employees and government subsidies. It supports those currently out of work. The apparent situation stems mainly from the country's strict COVID-19-driven lockdown measures. Supply chains have been disrupted and many small businesses were shut down this year. Official data says the youth unemployment rate in urban areas rose to a record high of 19.9 percent in July. The same rate in rural areas is believed to be much higher. Despite that, the official urban jobless rate eased to 5.4 percent in the same month. Due to the Chinese regime's history of underreporting certain figures, the real jobless rate could be far higher. Now to China's influence on the Middle East. Steep competition from cheap grapes and raisins imported from China. It's causing further damage to Yemeni businesses already struggling due to a war. Sharply dressed and trim. Ali Jarala is making his way through what could be a perfect scene from a pastoral painting. Rows upon rows of lush vineyards. He owns a store that sells grapes and raisins, but there's a problem. This is Yemen, which has been gripped by war for over seven years. As if that didn't make trade hard enough, he and others in his industry are also facing steep competition from cheap imported grapes and raisins, particularly from China. Here, he's showing us how it's done locally. After the grapes are reaped directly from the farms, we bring them to this place to dry, which is the place where the grapes are transformed into raisins. This place is colloquially called usha. Grapes are laid the way you see here. From the reaping to the drying, the process takes 40 to 50 days. In my opinion, one of the ways that will contribute to confronting Chinese raisins is to take care of the packaging of the Yemeni product and the way of presenting the local product. Farmers and raisin sellers must abandon traditional ways of marketing and packaging. Grapes make up roughly a third of the total area for fruit cultivation here, so foreign competition is noticeable. Jarala lives in the city of Sana, which is under the control of the Houthis, who are aligned with Iran. The Houthi administration recently tried to put restrictions on the imported raisins. As for the local production, there are no accurate statistics, but every year it increases. We implemented all mechanisms and procedures to market for the local product and to try to gradually reduce the imported. Of course, we only allow the import of quantities that cover the demand. A difficult question of supply and demand in a war-torn land. Just ahead, Russian President Vladimir Putin is denying former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev Russian state funeral honors. Putin won't even attend the funeral. 
and Ukrainian children returned to school in the midst of war. Their school served as a bomb shelter and then a makeshift hospital. Now it's both a school and a bomb shelter. We'll have all that and more for you in just a minute. Russian President Vladimir Putin is expected to miss the funeral of the last Soviet leader, Mikhail Gorbachev, and he's denied him the full state honors granted to Boris Yeltsin. This video shows Gorbachev lying in state in his coffin. Mikhail Gorbachev is set to be buried on Saturday, but there won't be a state funeral for the last Soviet leader. Russian President Vladimir Putin is denying him that honor, and what's more, he won't be at the funeral either. It's a decision that reflects the Kremlin's ambivalence about Gorbachev's legacy. Putin was seen placing roses at his coffin on Thursday, with a spokesperson saying he was there in lieu of the funeral due to his work schedule. Much like the funerals of Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin and Leonid Brezhnev, Gorbachev's ceremony will take place in Moscow's Hall of Columns. And it will have elements of a state funeral, like a military guard of honour. But it'll still be a far cry from the treatment Boris Yeltsin received in 2007. He was instrumental in sidelining Gorbachev as the Soviet Union fell apart and handpicked Putin as his successor. When he died, Putin declared a national day of mourning and attended a grand state funeral in Moscow's Cathedral of Christ the Savior. While Gorbachev has been revered in the West, his legacy in Russia is more complicated. Many blame him for the economic chaos after the fall of the Soviet Union. Putin once called the breakup of the Soviet Union the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. In Bucha, Ukraine, children have returned to school. The town was once under Russian occupation and it's heavily damaged. While in another city, children take their textbooks home from their bombed out school. Here's more on that story. It's the first day of first grade for these children in Ukraine. Just months ago, their school served as a bomb shelter and then a makeshift hospital. Local residents hid here from Russian forces. Now, it's welcoming back students for the school year, with the shelter still intact as the war rages on. Parents say all they can do is hope for the best. We don't have a right to project our fears on our children. I saw the bomb shelter. It's in good condition. I hope the children won't have to go in there, but they have to learn and be among their peers. Nearly 2,300 schools have been shelled or bombed since the Russian invasion began, including this school in Mykolaiv. I want to go to school and see my classmates and teachers, says fifth grader Arena Korchkova. Air raid sirens go off as she speaks. She and others are here picking up their books to study from home, the same as 95% of children in this region. Victoria Polyakova, deputy head of the school, says it's left her heartbroken. I remember that our school was very nice. It was very clean, it was very light. We have a lot of children, they were very happy at our school, so my heart is broken now. More than 350 children have died, with hundreds of others wounded. That's according to UN data, but the real number could be much higher. Now to Germany. A one-day pilot strike is bringing Lufthansa to a near standstill. The German airline says about 800 flights are canceled today. A union of pilots and flight engineers is leading the strike. The group is demanding a 5.5% pay increase this year, as well as inflation compensation. They're also asking for better conditions for entry-level pilots. But the latest round of wage negotiations has failed. The union thus called for a 24-hour strike involving over 5,000 pilots. Lufthansa has canceled hundreds of flights at its main bases in Frankfurt and Munich. Some 130,000 passengers are affected. Other strikes and staff shortages disrupted several German airlines this summer, canceling thousands of flights. Gasoline prices in Germany just took a jump. Three months ago, the government announced a three-month reduction on gas taxes to counter soaring energy costs. On September 1st, the suspension on the gas tax ended. Here's more. 
It's not good. It's bad news for the people who need to drive and need to drive to work. It isn't good news. Yes, I filled up yesterday before the prices went up again, but now it's just really expensive and everything is expensive, not just petrol. At a gas station in Bonn, the price of a liter of unleaded fuel went up to $2.08. At another station in Frankfurt, the price was $2.19 for a liter of diesel. In June, the government reduced tax on fuel to the European minimum rate for three months. Media outlets report that it's not yet certain how the end of the rebate will affect gas prices in the long term as some gas stations stocked up on cheap fuel in advance. The German Motor Association says while the gas rebate led to customers paying lower prices for fuel, the tax cut was not fully passed on to consumers. Earthquake tremors hit in the Liechtenstein parliament in Western Europe while a debate on earthquakes was going on. Live streaming video captured their surprise. Leaders of the country were discussing earthquake insurance. One politician was speaking about the impact of earthquakes on the citizens. During her speech, the parliament building was rattled by two tremors. When the first one occurred, she paused, smiled, and then kept talking. About 30 seconds later, an even stronger second strike, second shake, arrived, jolting even the camera. Parliament then adjourned for an emergency evacuation. Liechtenstein is one of the smallest countries in Europe, situated between Switzerland and Austria. It often suffers from earthquakes, thanks to the influence of tectonic forces near the Alps. The two earthquakes had magnitudes of 2.0 and 3.9. On to the Middle East. Authorities in Saudi Arabia say 47 million amphetamine pills hidden in a flower shipment were seized at a warehouse. That's after arriving through the dry port of the capital, Riyadh. Eight people were arrested on suspicion of smuggling the drugs. That's according to Saudi authorities, who added the operation was the biggest one-time drug smuggling attempt in terms of narcotics seized. The country's narcotics enforcement agency said it tracked the shipment and raided the warehouse, arresting six Syrian and two Pakistani nationals on suspicion of smuggling the drugs. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, NASA comments on the Artemis mission ahead of the launch planned for Saturday. This will be their second try at launching the moon rocket. And exhibitors at Berlin's Consumer Tech Fair present smarter and more energy-efficient appliances as high energy costs affect many parts of the world. Find out more right here on NTD News. Good to have you back with us. NASA will try to launch the Artemis 1 moon rocket again this Saturday. The agency on Thursday said there's no guarantee of success. The weather forecast is favorable. We might find that a combination of, of technical issues or uh, somebody uh, being out there on the range that shouldn't be out there uh, from a public safety standpoint and, um, and, and just you know a, a cloud cell or, or that kind of stuff could cause us to miss the opportunity. There's no guarantee that we're going to get off on, on the 3rd, but we're going to show up and we're going to try and we're going to give it our best. NASA mission manager Mike Serafin told media it was the right decision to postpone the launch originally planned for August 29th. The agency was forced to postpone the launch after a pair of technical issues arose just moments before takeoff. The Artemis 1 moon rocket will send an unmanned capsule around the moon and back to Earth. The planned journey will mark the kickoff of NASA's Moon to Mars Artemis program. It's the successor to the Apollo lunar missions of the 1960s and 70s. It's been almost 50 years since NASA's last mission to the moon. NASA is awarding SpaceX a $1.4 billion contract. It will cover five more Crew Dragon spacecraft launches. SpaceX first launched NASA astronauts to the International Space Station in May 2020. The deal extends the agreement between Elon Musk's company and NASA until 2030, bringing the total contract value to nearly $5 billion. With the contract extension, there is increased confidence that the International Space Station will stay in operation to 2030. It's also clear that SpaceX has grown into one of NASA's go-to contractors, but Boeing's Starliner program is still in the running with plans to launch its first crewed mission next year. NASA's newest telescope has captured its first image of a planet outside our solar system. These are known as exoplanets, and this one is named HIP-65426b. That's what's known as a gas giant. It has 6 to 12 times the mass of Jupiter. 
The planet is also an interstellar baby at only 15 to 20 million years old. Earth has been around for four and a half billion years. The James Webb Space Telescope captured the four images you see at the bottom. The images represent how the planet appears in four different bands of infrared light. Over to Berlin, where the IFA Consumer Electronics Fair is kicking off, NTD's Andrew Thomas gives us a look at the new appliances that exhibitors presented on the first day. From robot chefs to rolling TVs, Berlin's IFA is the world's largest electronics fair that's open to consumers. The event kicked off with a presentation by appliance maker Siemens. The German company unveiled a new fridge that responds to Amazon's Alexa devices. I am pleased to be able to present you a real-world first, namely the first inbuilt refrigerator with doors that here. I just have to say, Alexa, open the refrigerator, and the door of our Pico 700 opens. Among other new products are more energy-efficient washing machines and dryers. They feature a steam mode that can reduce up to 50% of wrinkles. All I have to do is add detergent to the tank once every 20 washes. The machine then makes use of this to supply itself. This is very convenient in itself, but it also makes sense in terms of new living, because the machine measures it out more precisely than humans do. The annual IFA show was disrupted by pandemic lockdowns the past two years and only 80% of the usual number of exhibitors are present this year. We are missing only few companies. We are missing, uh, most of the companies we are missing are from Asia in our global market area, and that's because of restrictions and not because they don't like to be at IFA. So we are very positive and think they will most, or they will return. Later in the morning, Bosch showcased a new device able to vacuum and mop floors at the same time. The heart of the device is in a two-in-one dynamic aqua mob. First, dust is picked up via a strong suction channel at the front. Behind it, two power spinning pads made of microfiber ensure effective dirt and stain removal. Eva Berlin opens to the public on September 2nd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And coming up on NTD News, animal workers help maintain a New York City park by doing something that they love, and their connection to the city is closer than many people realize. And a Los Angeles animal shelter keeps dogs and cats safe during California's stifling heat wave. Extreme weather is bringing ultra-high temperatures over Labor Day weekend. All that and more after the break. A huge tusk of a prehistoric elephant found in southern Israel. Archaeologists say the animal was hunted by people half a million years ago. The eight-foot-long fossil belongs to the now-extinct straight-tusked elephant. It's the largest complete fossilized tusk ever found in a prehistoric site in the Near East. It was discovered in the central plain that runs parallel to the Mediterranean coast of Israel. The site is dated to the late Paleolithic period about 500,000 years ago. Back then, what is now an arid area might have been a swamp or shallow lake. Archaeologists say a group of people may have hunted the huge animal, but it also holds a puzzle. It's unclear whether the animal was hunted or if it was found and its tusk was cut off and brought back to the area. As the calendar moved towards September, summer jobs are wrapping up. That includes a unique summer landscaping job in a New York City park. Four goats helped to save some green city space. Let's take a look. Lots of folks who took summer jobs or internships in New York City have started to return home. That includes... Hey, Cheech. Cheech, Eleanor, Big G, and Skittles. Hey, Skittles. The Gotham Hi. class of 2022 at Manhattan's Riverside Park headed back upstate after what looked like a lazy summer, but actually had a big role in the city park's ecosystem. We manage about six miles of Hudson River Parkland and Riverside Park, so it's a lot for us to maintain. Uh, so we thought it would be a great idea to have these, uh, these critters to kind of come and help us with um, invasive species removal. Riverside Park stretches for about 400 acres along Manhattan's west side, along the Hudson River. Like any green space, curbing invasive plants that endanger other green life and wildlife, like poison ivy and porcelain berry, is essential. But some northern areas of the park have pretty steep slopes that are tough to reach. Enter the goats. Hi. 
Marcus Caceres is a field supervisor for the Riverside Park Conservancy, which welcomed the goats for a third summer. With their help, we were able to lower and stunt the growth of the invasive species population to make sure that uh, native species have room to grow and also room to thrive as well, too. The quartet arrived in June from Green Goats Farm in Rhinebeck, New York, about 100 miles north of the city, to begin summer jobs in this two-acre enclosure. In two months, they chomped down thousands of pounds of weeds, moving toward eliminating them completely without the use of chemicals. The goat's social nature providing other benefits. They provide such a mental health service for people who want to just come and enjoy the park and then just having the time to spend, you know, share a heart-to-heart -heart moment with the goat. New York's Gotham moniker actually means goat town in Old English and originated as an early 19th century put-down as goats roam the undeveloped Upper West Side of Manhattan. But this summer, it's a name the park claimed proudly. You sure don't disappoint, huh? As a heat wave grips California, an animal shelter in Los Angeles is making sure its cats and dogs stay cool. Air conditioning and chilled food are essential. It's also important to make sure they don't overexercise in the extreme heat. This is Splitter, um, and he's been at the pet adoption center here for just a couple of days. Um, and we have him outside today just to give him a little bit of exercise, a little bit of a potty break. But we're very uh, aware that you know it is it is hot outside right now, so we keep our potty break short, and we always want to offer cool, fresh water for the dogs. Um, we also have some kitty pools that are available for the dogs to be able to walk through and and cool down their paws. The Best Friends Animal Adoption Center in Los Angeles has taken in more than 60 cats and dogs. Animal caretakers have shortened dogs' exercise time, but short walks are safely done. Cats have been luckier. They're housed indoors with air conditioning. According to the National Weather Service, a record-breaking heat wave is sweeping through California this week. Over Labor Day weekend, temperatures in some areas are likely to reach 115 degrees. Such extreme weather has left the state's animals at high risk. Animal shelters are therefore urging people to adopt more of their furry friends. And there are many ways to fight cancer, relieve stress, and strengthen your immunity. Spending quality time in a forest may be one of them. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Japanese have a society dedicated to forest therapy. It promotes medical timeout in forests and advocates the benefits of forest bathing. Scientists have discovered that people visiting a forest location change their outlook and mood. As their bodies relax, their blood pressure and heart rate lowers. More importantly, their immune system is strengthened. Regular forest bathing results in disease prevention and healing. A city lady suffering from tuberculosis published her story I Lived in the Woods in the 1950s. It was a bestseller. Knowing death was near, she decided to live the life she wanted and moved into a log cabin. During winter months, she was happy. By spring, she noticed her breathing was normal and her discomforts had subsided. She thought it was strange, so she visited various doctors, and her new diagnosis was tuberculosis gone. John had a melanoma tumour in his armpit and several surgeries to remove it. Sadly, the cancer spread to his lungs, so doctors recommended immediate treatment or prepare for death. John chose hiking in the mountains to improve his strength ahead of further treatment. He was careful with his diet and did meditation. He used his mind to imagine powerful white blood cells destroying the cancer cells. When he returned, his doctors were astounded. The very large cancerous lesions had disappeared. A white halo replaced the melanoma. The doctors understood John's immune system had attacked the cancer cells. What part of his trip initiated this change? Perhaps these individuals' self-healing may have been triggered. Was it the mindfulness, diet or mood changes? All of them strengthen the immune system. Let's look at ways of bathing. Leave your cell phone and camera behind. Stroll casually with no destination intended. Appreciate what you see. Listen to the forest. Smelling and breathing slowly. 
touch tree trunks, dipping your hands in the stream or just lie down on the grass to rest. If the forest is too far away, try visiting the big trees in your local park. Los Angeles police officers help a woman deliver a baby at a gas station. Body cam videos show them approaching a woman on the ground with no one else around to help. Oh, right here. Oh, right here. Oh, God. What's wrong? She's giving birth, man. Oh, my gosh. Are you having a baby? Yes, yeah, she is. Oh, my gosh. The officers received a radio call at around 4.45 a.m. saying a woman was in need of help. When they arrived at the gas station, they found the woman in active labor. They call for an ambulance, but it won't be able to get there in time, so they themselves end up assisting her delivery. When the baby comes out, the officers and the mother grow concerned since the baby isn't breathing. But eventually, the baby starts crying. The police department says mother and child are both doing well in a nearby hospital. And if you don't have any Labor Day plans, here's an idea that's easy on your wallet. Movie attendance hasn't bounced back after the pandemic, so theaters across the country are trying to lure back audiences. Saturday, you can catch a flick on the big screen for just a few bucks. Major chains like AMC and Regal are pulling out all the stops for National Cinema Day. Tickets for all shows will be just $3. You can find a theater near you on the website nationalcinemaday.org. As a bonus, AMC tweeted it will be offering a drink popcorn combo for five bucks. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Music